It's time to talk University of Richmond basketball. This is Behind the Web with head coach Chris Mooney, live from World of Beer Bar and Kitchen, 11,600 West Broad Street in Short Pump. Tonight's show is brought to you by CarMax, Lux Chevrolet, Bryant Heating and Cooling, Cornerstone Partners co-star group and Bon Secours Health System, and by Cabell Childress Group. Join in online anytime and be a part of the show with your questions and comments. Text 804-327-0888. Email behind the web at richmond.edu or on Twitter using at Spider Voice, at Richmond Athletics, or at ESPN Richmond. Now, here's the voice of the Spiders, Bob Black, with Coach Mooney. This is Behind the Web, presented by World of Beer on 1061 ESPN and the Spider Sports Network. Gustafson doing what he does, the steal for the Spiders. Off to a 4 nothing lead, trying to increase that. Burton steps into the three. He's got all seven of Richmond's points. Quick drive by Jalen Carey, but Neil Quinn rejects it, his 13th block of the season. And the Spiders come up with it. Win to the basket. It's a 9-0 Richmond lead. Burton in the near corner for three. Lift out into the hands of Roach who tipped it in. Caught it midair and put it back in the basket. Roach with four. Offensive glass. The eighth offensive rebound for the Spiders and their ninth second chance point on that beautiful play by Roach. Web Bob Black with Spider Head Coach Chris Mooney. We talk Richmond and college basketball with you each and every Monday night during the college basketball season from 6 until 7 o'clock. Love for you to interact with the program if you're not in the house, and we appreciate all of you who are here at the restaurant tonight. 804-327-0888. Send us those texts or email your questions and comments, as you just heard, behind the web at richmond.edu. All right, we got through uh, Rams week, and now it is road trip week for the Spiders. We'll review the two games against the two Rams from last week, Rhode Island and VCU, and then we'll look ahead at UMass Wednesday night and then back on the road Saturday at Dayton. So a couple of challenging games coming up for Coach Mooney and the Spiders. Uh, Chris, let's go. How are the guys? You had an extra day here, the, the game on Friday night, so I guess maybe got away from it a little bit on Saturday. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how the guys uh, bounced back or began to bounce back from VCU Friday night. Yeah, we uh, we had off on Saturday, so the, the Friday game obviously is great, great to be uh, on national TV, especially uh, games at the Robin Center. Uh, but another good part is if you follow that with uh, Wednesday, Saturday, uh, you have you have an extra day that you usually don't have uh, coming off the weekend. So we had off Saturday, and then we did uh, group workouts on Sunday. So we, <clears throat> I should say, we met and we watched some film and we went over some some of the things from the from the Friday night game, uh, and then after that we had group workouts and lifting, and uh, the guys were 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 good. I mean, we we addressed. Some things that uh, that have been hurting us a little bit, and that were uh, that hurt us more on Friday night, uh, and then went out and had had a good workout. Uh, really high energy, uh, really got a, uh, got moving, a lot of sweat, and then uh, came back today and practiced and started our preparation for UMass. So I think those days are good when you can when you can focus on yourselves. You can try to um, you know address some of the things that weren't great but also just work and move and have a good sweat and try to 
try to move forward and, and put uh, you know a, a tough game, especially a rivalry game, uh, behind you to a certain extent. Uh, one of the things you said to us and to the media, and I imagine to the team in the aftermath of VCU, was our defense has to help our offense. Our offense has to help our defense. I think that was the direction that you went. Our offense has to help our defense. Our defense is pretty solid, but it's got to be at the other end of the court. I almost thought it's kind of like a, a football coach yeah. says that, but he's got two separate units right. to deal with. In this case, you're, you're talking to the same personnel. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I hear Coach Usman say complimentary football, and it's sometimes, you know, you're, you're, um, our defense has been very good. Uh, statistically, uh, the look of it, our defensive rebounding, a lot of things are really positive. You just can't put so much pressure on it that we have to get so many stops. So your offense has to, you know, capitalize on some things that your defense does well. Your offense has to sometimes score, you know, even if the other team's defense is good, just because it's just very, very hard uh, to have possessions of defense that always end with a stop. Mm-hmm. Even if you play great defense, uh, you know, the team is uh, has great players, they're going to score, and, and you, you can't you need to have these runs where your your defense feel like it's you've capitalized on that good defense uh and for for too much of the for too many of the possessions on friday we we didn't do that we didn't help out enough and it felt like we were you know trying to hold them off for for too long and so um you know we got the game to four points twice in the second half i think 51 47 and 53 49 with the ball and had opportunities and we didn't capitalize on those enough. Uh, and in fact, you know, I think both, you know, both times we had it down there, they led to some, we had a, either a turnover and a mislayup that led to runouts. And then you don't give your defense a chance to play. So uh, I think that our defense is playing well enough and we just have to keep, you know, getting better offensively so that it takes advantage of that good defense and doesn't put us in a position where we have to count on getting stops all the time. I think we're built, you know, we're, we're good defensively. We need, we need to capitalize on that more often. One of the things we talked about was getting some easy baskets to kind of break the ice a little bit. I know Greg has mentioned that a couple times on our broadcast. Not only let's get some easy baskets, but he would notice, like, even you are one of the assistants on the sideline where the opportunity presented itself, kind of waving your hand and saying, let's go, let's get yeah. up court and let's try and get to them before their defense can get set. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, um, you know, we've been a, a very good team in transition for a long time now. I don't think we're quite as good this year, but we're, we're good when we fly the ball up into our offense. And so I think we're familiar enough and our guys know how to play enough that we can, whether we go slow or fast, we can get into something we recognize and start to move and cut and move the ball. Uh, and and that's an advantage for us because some teams, you know, it's pretty distinct of their transition and then their half court. Ours feels like a little bit more fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we take our time bringing the ball up, there that's to me it shows a little bit of tentativeness. We're a little bit of trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So somewhat understandable against a team that presses and presses from in different ways. But the best thing to do is put them on their heels, you know, and then you don't you don't get trapped. You, you, you take away some of their aggression by your own aggression. And uh, I, I think we, we didn't do, you know, and that, that's, uh, a, that's my fault. We didn't do a good enough a job of that early of just 
flying the ball up so that their pressure was neutralized to a certain extent in that area of the floor. And I think we can do a better job next time we see pressure of, of that. One of the other things I know you talked about with the guys against VCU was once we get it into what we're trying to do offensively, let's get it into the post. Uh, that will slow them down a little. And if they're not double teaming, let's have Neil or Matt, you know, really work it in the post. Um, you know, how much do you think that happened or did it need to happen more the other night? Well, it needed to happen more. I think, you know, uh, for, you know, for our fans who, who mainly watch us, you know, we probably throw the ball into the low post, you know, more than most, you know, just about every team in the country. I think this year, especially, we need to do it even more. Mm-hmm. And, Partly because Neil and Matt are great weapons in there. They're also two very, very good passers. Uh, you know, that does, when the ball is in the low post, that's the one place on the floor where you're, there's not pressure. You know, um, you know that they rarely double, you know, so that the guy is kind of playing one-on-one with this movement around him on the perimeter, and there's not pressure. And I think that uh, when we did, we were very successful, mm-hmm. whether that meant we scored on, on that or drew a foul on that part. Or when the ball came out, it was more free um, to move and to play. Uh, so I think that I think as much as we did throw it in, we need to throw it in that much more. And that's really what we've talked a lot of our guys about as as we're trying to you know encourage Neil to be more aggressive and uh, shoot the ball and make moves aggressively when he's in the post. That everybody on the team is focused on throwing it in. And and again, you know. Uh, we would tell guys early when we'd have new players, when we had Grant or TJ, that you know we're throwing the ball into them. Period. That's the that's the rule, uh, and it's their job to make the decisions when to throw it out or when to keep us moving. So uh, it's the same for Neil, and we just need to have an even more of an emphasis uh, than than we do because I think that's our best strategy for everybody else in terms of trying to score at the, at the most efficient way. How much do you think you're convincing Neil of this? And we've had him on this show, and, you know, with TJ and Grant, they gobbled that up. They were like, get it yeah. to me. I'll, I'll take it, and I'll, I'll eat that. That's for sure. But now how much are you kind of convincing Neil that, that you don't need to be unselfish all the time? This is what we want yeah. you to do. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it gets to a point when you're a good player. It's not about selfish or unselfish. It's just about making the right play. Mm-hmm. And the right play for him is to go score. Pete Thomas uh, found uh, Dan Giroux's first game box score the other day against East Carolina. He took 17 shots in his first game. Uh, so he was not, we did not have this problem oh, for a while. I mean, right. uh, but, no, that's what I mean. It's not – you know, there's no unselfish. Neil, you make the right basketball play. If the right play calls for you to go try to score, you have to do that. And he – that part of what makes it somewhat frustrating is – and we see the low post moves that he does make are beautiful. And, uh, and he can get almost anywhere that he wants to and ends up with easy shots. So um, the process of, of getting him to shoot more, I think, is, is, is positive. It's going well. You know, he just has to do it and feel that. And, and we have to give him some, you know, maybe a more, you know, our, our uh, plan of attack is always about making decisions and reads. Maybe a few more things where we just throw it to him with the only option to go score, <laughs> right. um, and we'll we'll try some of those things. But I, I think he's improving in that in that direction for sure. How about for Matt Grace? And, and I ask it in this term for three three and a half years. Three and a half years he wasn't asked. Maybe three and three quarter years he wasn't really asked 
to do that. And by the end of last season, obviously, he was and flourished with it at the end of the year, and now certainly is being asked to do that this season. Yeah, and it's very similar with Matt. He, he could shoot the ball more. Uh, we've had games where we've you know had specific uh, ideas that we want him to shoot the ball more, and you know sometimes guys, those guys, those two players have great instincts, and you know when you have a guy with great instincts, they're often going to make they're almost always going to make the right basketball play, and so when you see someone and you're not perfectly comfortable. You might pass up a good shot for a better shot. and But now this year it's similar. You know, that, that good shot is the best shot mm-hmm. we can get. Mm-hmm. And so now it's great to have unselfish players who, who make the decisions and uh, can, can pass, can execute those plays, can see the floor well enough to do that. But we, those two guys in particular, you know, they should really take more shots and they should be more aggressive. Uh, and I think from a... Uh, their basketball IQ, they can see that and know that, and now it's just the emphasis over and over and over again of, of helping them to do that. Uh, we have mentioned assistant coaches a couple of times, and we are going to speak with one of them tonight here after the break at the uh, quarter hour. Mark, um, Will Guype is with us tonight, Spider first-year assistant, but just about the most tenured member of Coach Mooney's staff in his seventh season on the staff. So Will's going to join us tonight. You'll get to learn a little bit more about him and what he's doing as Spider assistant coach, and he actually has the, the scout for UMass, so we'll dive into that a little bit uh, as well. One more, Chris, before we go to the break, uh, the highlights, for the most part, on the open were from the Rhode Island game and from a 9 nothing start. Yeah. And I know Tyler had seven of them. I get that. But kind of what were you seeing there in that opening segment? It's got to feel good when you force the other coach to call a timeout before the first media timeout. We've talked so many times this year about slow starts. So what did you see in a fast start on, um, on Tuesday night when Rhode Island you know, never caught us? They right. never tied or took the lead after that. Yeah, I, I think, again, it start, started with defense. Um, you know, they, uh, we really saw, even in those first four or five possessions, we saw a lot of their offense because uh, we were, you know, we were on the first thing. Uh, and when they went to their secondary part of that play, we were, we were there and we were in great position. Uh, and I think we did that the first four or five times, uh, similar to, to the Bonaventure game, in that we were really, really on it. Um, you know, the difference was we scored uh, more in this game. Uh, but I felt like... That was one, and I would say the second thing is I thought the ball moved for the first 12, 14 minutes of the first half against Rhode Island as well as it has all year. And a big part of that was we were throwing the ball in. Uh, and, and, you know, as again, as we do very often, but, you know, we were even throwing it in a second time on a possession, uh, one or two possessions, even a third time. And that's important. You know, that's, that's getting the ball close. That's encouraging Neil to be aggressive. That's our cuts now happening kind of with the guys back to the ball. Uh, and so I think those two things, I think our defense and then our, our commitment to throwing the ball in were both evident uh, to start the game against Rhodey. Spiders got that win against the Rams on Tuesday night, and as we said, never trailed uh, en route to that victory. All right, we are en route to a break, and on the other side, Spider assistant coach Will Guype joins us up here at the table. We're live at World of Beer and Short Pump. It's behind the web with Spider head coach Chris Mooney. Back after the break on the home of the Spiders, 1061 ESPN. Timeouts over. Now, more behind the web from World of Beer in Short Pump on 1061 ESPN and the Spider Sports Network. 
Young assistant coach Will Geip has the scout for this game for the Spiders. Greg, his first official scout in his first year as an assistant coach. It's probably the first time we've played a highlight on this show in which there wasn't a point scored or a block shot or something. We talked about the assistant coach on the sideline. And now he's the headliner tonight on Behind the Web with Spider Head Coach Chris Moody. Bob Black back with you at World of Beer. He is Spider Assistant Coach Will Geip, who joins us tonight uh, here on the show. Uh, we have mentioned the Spider Assistants this season uh, several times on our programs. Of course, all three of them are new. Two of them, in one way or another, are not new to the program coach mentioned peter thomas in the last segment of course played for coach mooney here at richmond and will guype has been on coach's staff uh, going on seven years now david boynton is new to the staff and we will introduce you to, to all of those guys we've had david in here already um and will is with us tonight so uh will guype welcome to the program how are you my friend great doing great uh thanks for having us bob thankful my beautiful wife amber's here with us tonight as well so really happy to be here absolutely Glad to have both of you with us. Take me back to um, April when Coach Mooney came to you and you guys talked about you becoming an assistant coach and what that was what that was like for you after the years you'd spent at Virginia Tech in administrative and supportive roles and here at Richmond and now to get to do with what I'm I'm sure was was a goal of yours. Yeah, absolutely. So you know it was pretty surreal a uh, few months there in the spring especially starting with march uh with the run in buffalo and you know it was looking even while we were there some things you know maybe we had a chance to open up and you know we we'd been talking about a lot of uh things with the roster we would need to do so you know it was kind of planning out you know if this opportunity came how i could help coach and you know just build it for the for the future to come and you know i thought i thought and the three transfers we did was really good and you know, I, I'm, I'm really appreciative that, you know, all the time I was on staff at Richmond as uh, support staff, you know, some of the older assistants, Rob Jones, Marcus Jenkins, they really let me get hands-on with recruiting and scheduling and, you know, relationships with the guys. So, you know, was able to kind of hit the ground running because a lot of that stuff I had done, you know, in years prior. And, you know, I think that's one of the best things about working for coaches. He's not a micromanager in any way. And so, you know, I wasn't bogged down doing, you know, busy work. You know, I was, you know, trying to help Marcus build the roster. Mm -hmm. Chris, how significant and impactful was that to have Will already on staff? You talked many times about how challenging this particular March and April was as opposed to any other because of the challenging changing landscape of college yeah. basketball yeah it was it was uh you know very it was you know it's so different now in that march and april that, that you know coach Carroll used to tell stories they would they would play cards and drink beer in the spring in the in the basketball <laughs> office and uh you know we didn't do quite as much of that this spring because it's just it has become the busiest recruiting time and so, and then we all, and then we had uh, assistant coaches opening. So, you know, I kind of uh, had a good idea that that Will would would step in if one of those uh, opened, uh, and he had already, you know, he had put himself in that position because he was so integral in, in so much of the recruiting we had done, and that that's you know there are two real things from going to being uh, the operations to assistant recruiting and on the floor coaching. And really, he really had done a lot of that and was fully invested in all of it. So that was, that made it m much easier just in terms of, 
you know, we were we were hopefully hopeful, but waiting to see what Andre and Matt would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to replace some really great players. Uh, we had openings uh, on the staff. You know, Tyler was heading to Chicago to prepare for the for the workout. Andre Gustafson was trying to get into the NBA. So there were there was just a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. Um, and so Will was. Uh, it, it would be really difficult if we had three new guys, mm-hmm. but also Will had invested himself in all of those areas that he was familiar with and really leading us in a, in a lot of ways in those areas, and that made it a huge, huge impact for us. Well, take us back even a little bit further to when he first came to Richmond yeah. in, in tw- uh, 2016. I was going to say a young Will Gipe, but yeah. obviously everybody in the restaurant who's looking at him yeah. can tell he is still a young yeah. Will guy, but yeah. take us back to like 2016 and what you may remember about Will first joining your staff. Right. Well, he was seven at the time, <laughs> and uh, you know he he had come from uh, Virginia Tech, and so uh, Buzz Williams was the head coach at Virginia Tech, and Steve Thomas had come um, from Virginia Tech as well, and so Steve was the first who made me aware of Will, uh, and Buzz is notoriously challenging to work for. Uh, which it would be known throughout the college basketball world. And uh, even though he has usually the biggest staff, uh, everybody has plenty to do. So he's very, very challenging to work for. And so really it's a, it's a unique way to, uh, to cut your teeth, so to speak, in college basketball because you've worked uh, for someone who's extremely demanding and ha- there are a lot of things to do. So right away you kind of – one, he, he had been a student manager – and, you know, they're as hard of working people as there are in, in college basketball and then stayed on as a, uh, a grad assistant. So, again, you're dedicating, you know, just about your whole life to that particular program. So those boxes we had assumed were checked. And then uh, he, but he had he has much more of a, um, a, f- a great feel for basketball and a coaching acumen than uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes a player, a former player, has a really good feel for the game but when they're young especially their work ethic needs to be improved because they've they've gotten everything done for them by the managers and so as that as they're catching up with their work ethic you know whereas will had a good feel for the game a good sense for how to help guys improve a good overall picture of college basketball because i think he's wanted to be a coach his whole life coupled with a great work ethic so i got to go back here well take us back here i think you know what's probably coming because this begs the question um tell us about the challenges and the rewards of coaching for buzz williams and you're just amongst friends here yes. you know they're not listening to blacksburg right now they got a, they got a pretty big game they're playing few minutes against duke so you're amongst friends here challenges and rewards of working for buzz williams absolutely so i'll start i was graduating from undergrad in may of 2014 uh was working for coach james johnson and he was let go in march of 2014 so i knew i wanted to get into college coaching you know had worked camps in the summer uh but but other than some of the connections i had made outside of that you know i was super young i didn't know a ton of people and you know uh they hired coach williams just a week after um so he he got there in march of 2014 and um you know i knew things were going to be pretty intense from the start but you know the thing i'll always be grateful for is you know to to be in that position where i was an undergrad manager 
And, you know, the head coach I worked for had just gotten let go and that staff wasn't there anymore. Um, you know, for my next step to be a graduate assistant in the ACC, I, I couldn't have imagined that. And, you know, I'll always be grateful to Coach Williams, you know, for for giving me that opportunity, you know. And, um, you know, always thankful for Virginia Tech. Spent five years there as well in total. Um, but but definitely learned a lot from him. You know, I think, I think the big thing I tell people working for Coach Williams is, you know, he had a tremendous staff as well. Steve Rockefert uh, really took me under his wing. You know, learned a ton about recruiting from him. Uh, you know, he's recruited transfers, junior college players, really good high school players. He worked for John Calipari at Memphis. Uh, he's been all over the place. He's recruited every region in the United States. So really uh, learned a lot about recruiting from him. Jeff Reynolds, who's been a Division One head coach, uh, who's now at Clemson. Uh, a lot of the offensive stuff they do there, you know, he has a big influence on, uh, you know, was able to learn under him. And just, just a lot of really good people uh, that, that really helped me grow. Coach Williams did a lot, and, and I think he, he has a good way of putting a staff together that really – Builds a good program. You were actually there through three head coaches, weren't you? I mean, Seth Greenberg yeah. and Coach Johnson and Coach Williams, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, my freshman year, uh, worked for Coach Greenberg. I got there in September of my freshman year, and we, we were only together about seven or eight months. But, you know, it was – you know, I'll, I'll be always be thankful to him because, you know, he let me get really involved as a student manager. And, you know, he's a tremendous basketball coach. And, and, and I was very fortunate, too, because the way he wanted to play, the way Coach Johnson wanted to play, and the way Coach Williams wanted to play, three very different styles of basketball. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I learned from an early age a lot of different ways, you know, that things can be done um, on the court, off the court, as a staff. You know what kind of what you look for in players and recruiting and kind of your tactics in developing them as well. Do you ever think Seth Greenberg would wind up being a star at ESPN <laughs> when you were there and he was the head basketball coach? I do remember uh, he was on the CBS NCAA show the first week of the tournament, and I, I remember watching from the offices with the assistant coaches and. Uh, he was doing a tremendous job, and, you know, he was texting with the assistants. What do you think? I, how did this sound? Or what did you think about this? And, you know, we were talking like, man, he, he looks like he's made for this. And, you know, here we are here now. We, yes. So. yes, he has made a great career That's right. out of that. He, he has left coaching, I think, in the rearview mirror right. so. at this point. All right, you have both mentioned recruiting a lot which is the lifeblood of the program. Let's take a break at the bottom of the hour, come back and talk with uh, Coach Guype and Coach Mooney about the recruiting trail and what that's been like since he became an assistant coach with the Spiders. Halfway through, behind the web from World of Beer on a Monday night. Thank you for tuning in. Again, 804-327-0888 if you have questions or comments or behind the web at richmond.edu. Back after the bottom of the hour break on 1061 ESPN. To the show, Behind the Web, presented by World of Beer and Short Pump. Once again, here's Bob Black on the Spider Sports Network and 1061 ESPN. Spiders off the inbounds. Gustafson to Bigelow. High post this time to Quinn. Lobs it back down low to Bigelow for a two-hand dunk. He rocks the rim and rocks the Robin Center. 
And we are having a rocking good time at World of Beer tonight here in Short Pump. Behind the web continues. Bob Black with head coach Chris Mooney. Will Gipe, Spider assistant coach, is our guest tonight. Appreciate everybody who's uh, in the uh, restaurant with us this evening and tuned in tonight on 1061 ESPN, ESPNRichmond.com, and RichmondSpiders.com. I'm going to talk some recruiting in this segment with assistant coach Will Gipe. And the highlight you heard there, um, the dunk by Isaiah Bigelow, is one of those three uh, transfers that the Spiders brought in that Will and, and Chris were talking about in that last segment with Neil Quinn and with Jason Roach. So I'm going to start there, Will, and that's kind of the recruiting process of college players as opposed to high school players. And I know you were closely involved in the recruitment of Jason Roach from the Citadel, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, it's a very... Uh, unique process of recruiting right high school kids you might recruit them for two years you know I, I probably recruited Jason Roach five or six weeks from the initial call to when he committed uh, but you know it's it's you gotta you gotta be on it early and you, you gotta work fast right you gotta figure out are these guys good enough you know then you gotta watch film make sure they're a fit offensively defensively you know you're trying to build relationships you gotta build connections quickly to make sure um, you know, you're you're talking to the right people in their camp, um, and then you know, obviously bringing them on a visit. You know, they're 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 interested in in they're obviously interested in Richmond if they want to come on a visit, but they probably want to take a couple others as well. So working out the logistics of that, you know, all this could happen in the span of three or four weeks, and you know, while that's happening, there's other kids going into the portal. There's kids that you're recruiting that may commit to Richmond, may commit somewhere else. So, you know, it's it's a it's a lot of moving pieces really, really fast in the spring. So on Jason, what was it that you saw and felt that he was the right piece for Richmond? I mean, obviously he could shoot the ball 110 three-pointers at the Citadel last year. Was there something that clicked with you that said he's he's our guy yeah absolutely I mean uh to be such a good shooter you know he does have good size as well um at 6'5 I think he's been a real asset to us defensively this year you know uh obviously he was SoCon freshman of the year which was huge and the three-point shooting but I, I really I really thought from a, a personality standpoint he could be a really good fit for us when we were talking. You know, his big emphasis in the recruiting process was he really loved his teammates at the Citadel and he loved the camaraderie of that group and so, you know, he, he was very interested in you know what the Richmond culture was like, what the locker room was like, how the guys were, and so I think it was big for him to spend time with our guys on the visit and and see how genuine they are, and you know, kind of the culture coaches built here, and um, you know, it's he's been tremendous. His mom and dad are they're both wonderful people, um, you know, and and then. Uh, coach had a great relationship with his head coach at the Citadel um, they had a great talk about Jason he loved Jason um, and then uh, you know a lot of guys on our staff we talked with Jack Castle who recruited him to the Citadel who's now at Fairleigh Dickinson so it was cool they got to see each other again uh, when we played in the Robin Center uh, and he, he couldn't say enough good things about who Jason was as a worker and a person let me take a step back here, Chris. When we have asked you about Will once he became an assistant coach, whether that was me or uh, Rick Stos, by the way, has a really nice piece about Will Gipe up on our website. Uh, if you'd like to look at a little video and hear from Will Gipe, Will Gipe all the time. I mean, it's great. Red <laughs> website, radio. We're making you a media mogul here, Will. But the first thing you talked about was his passion and love for recruiting. And I'm not sure 
every assistant coach is in that camp. For some of them, it's probably a necessary evil. For Will, it seems like a labor of love. Yeah, the, the, the best way I could describe it is that uh, when I was growing up, maybe, maybe similar to Mike O'Toole, I, I could have told you, you know, the top ten leaders in triples in the American League. And, uh, He's a National League guy, so he probably could Well, but that's it. what I mean. So was oh. I. But, I mean, I would even good know point. that because it was you're so interested in it. Okay, you know, good point. And, yeah. And whose ERA was what and how many saves this guy had on the, on the uh, Cubs. And so, you know, and that, of course, fades away a little bit um, when you get older. But it's, re- it's really become it's kind of you're immersed in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the guys who are the best at recruiting, that, that's how it is. It's not just uh, they, they love – they love Richmond recruiting or, or who they can project here, but they they know the guys that are going to UCLA and the guy that, well, he slipped through the crack is, and he's going to St. Francis, New York. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just uh, there's something different about that. And, and not everybody could be like that. And I think Will, um, you know, I, I think his, his knowledge of all that, it really, really helps you because – you know, if you're just looking at the guys who are who Richmond's interested in, then your frame of reference is kind of narrow, and mm-hmm. you, now it, it's likely to end up those are the same guys anyway. But when you have a bigger, uh, you know, view of the world and where guys are going, and you say, well, I think he's just as good as this guy, but he's from a an area that doesn't get as much uh, exposure, or he didn't play his junior year because he was playing baseball, or you know, you kind of know all these things, and you, you, it probably makes you a better projector of where guys can get to. Uh, so it, it kind of, you know, recruiting, you know, there are guys who have been ranked really highly, have not have great careers in college, and guys who have been very low ranked or not ranked who have had great careers. And so it's still not an exact science, but the more you have an understanding of the total picture, uh, the better you can be at it. And I think that's uh, one of Will's great advantages that he really does have a, a great picture of, of national recruiting. Will, give us a, a picture, a verbal picture, if you will, of more of the logistical side of the recruiting, the, the physical side of it, the travel side of it. And now I think I am getting more into the high school part of this when you're recruiting both offseason and I know you'll slide in a couple of recruiting visits between games and that sort of thing during the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's totally different based on the calendar, you know, what time of year it is. If it's a couple weekends in April and uh, parts of July, that's called the evaluation period, which is when we're allowed to go to events, uh, AAU events, where uh, logistically that's the easiest, right? Because we go to Indianapolis and there's a gym with, you know, eight courts playing at once. And, you know, there's games going on where there's nine Division One players on the court at all times. And, you know, you watch that for an hour and then you go watch the next game. And, you, you know, you do that for eight or ten hours straight. Uh, which which is great, you know. The only the only thing is, you know, you can't really talk to the kids during that time face to face. You know, during the season it's a little trickier logistically, obviously with our schedule, scouting, games, that kind of thing. But then also, you know, you want to go see a kid. You know, you may spend the whole day traveling and you only see their high school game, and you know maybe they're not even playing a a great team that night. But that was the only game that could work for your schedule. Um, so, so one thing, you know, that I think is important, too, is to see kids in practice, you know, how they are with their teammates, 
do they approach every day the right way? But then also that just gives you the chance to see, you know, how they take coaching and, you know, uh, gives you the opportunity to, to talk with them a little bit too just to see how they are face-to-face. Uh, a couple more for uh, Will Geip in this segment of Behind the Web. Um, I mentioned all three of the assistants are new to the staff. This season, all of them have some kind of connection to Richmond. Coach Boynton uh, is from Richmond, and then obviously Peter Thomas, who, who played here, and, and yourself. What's kind of the chemistry like uh, amongst the three of you? And I mean, you could spread that a little to the support staff um, as well, but particularly the three of you and what you can lend to Coach Mooney, whether it's in a practice session or in a game session more than once, and not only this year. We have seen you certainly, you know, tug on his sleeve at a timeout or before a timeout or to call a timeout, and he doesn't want to because we know he doesn't like to do that. But what, <laughs> what's kind of that, that chemistry like with the three assistants and then with Coach? It's been great. You know, I think, uh, you know, it's it's pretty light in the office in turn. You know, I've been joking. You know, Steve Thomas was, like Coach was talking about, made the connection between us. You know, when I, when I got here, I felt like it was just all Philly and New Jersey guys on staff. And it's like I'm working in Virginia as the only Virginia guy, you know. So I, I joke with David and Jack Fayhead, our video coordinator. It's, it's nice to have some other Virginia guys on staff. And David jokes with me. He's like, you ain't even from Virginia. People from Richmond, they don't consider wise Virginia. So, so that's tough. But, uh, but, no, it's been great. You know, I, um, you know Coach Thomas – you know, his feel for Richmond basketball, his love for University of Richmond, it's its evident every day. And I just think he has such a, a great way with our guys. Um, and, and knowing Coach both as a player and, you know, working on his staff before he went to Campbell. Um, so, so obviously there's a lot of familiarity there. And, you know, David's probably one of the smartest uh, – X's and O's coaches I've ever worked with and his way of as things transpire in a game like he can see things during a possession and then immediately coach it in a media timeout like at an incredibly high level and so you know I think um, you know I think all three assistants you know willingness to uh, you know give advice to coach but also you know I think all three assistants have a, a real respect for how coach has built it and how he wants to play and you know what his expectations are you know during the games during practice you know i think i think that builds camaraderie really well and you know i know i know speaking for myself like we're appreciative that that coach listens to our voices as well chris you have always given your assistants a voice in practice certainly what was that like with this group of assistants to to kind of build that that trust and that confidence in them that you know they're they're running different parts of practice yeah, I, I, you know, I do think the familiarity that everybody had uh, was was really a big help because you know, we've been such a stable uh, staff for a long time, and so having Will it was much very natural to step in to that role. Peter Thomas to return, David Boyden familiar because of Grant Golden, um, so I do think that really helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, and it hasn't been. I remember when we got to the Air Force Academy and joe scott we would we would spend so much time with the staff kind of teaching them the offense and and uh you know these these you know it was just not how i would necessarily do it uh and also i just felt like that that's not how we teach the guys you know so that we should we ought to Mm -hmm. teach the guy and so there's a uh you know there's a steve thomas (laughs) 
there, there's a shirt that he had made, and it's a white shirt with white writing, so you can barely see what it says. And it says, you'll see it. And because a lot of times I'll say to the guys, you know, do this, this, and this, you'll see it. Like, it's easier to see, it's easier to see when you're playing than it is for me to describe all these words and actions. And that's a little bit of, of how, how we do it. And so, you know, you have to have the sense of when you are interjecting and speaking up and taking over and that's a little bit of your feel for the game your feel for practice your feel for the pace so it'd be hard to sit somebody down and tell them how it's going to be it's a little bit of you'll see it and you have to have that that capability to do that when when you're in there because it really you know practice really moves fast uh by design and so you have to have a strong enough voice and conviction to be able to interject and get those in there, those teaching points. Um, otherwise, it's not going to kind of blend and go in with us. Free, you'll see it, T-shirts for everyone <laughs> in the house today. We'll get them for you. We're going to get them. That'll be our in kind of thing. Last one uh, for you, Will, and we'll, we'll let you go. It won't be the last time we'll have you here because you've been terrific. You I can tell because the crowd has gotten really quiet, and they're listening to every word you've got to say. Uh, scouting, how you have, A, attacked that, and B, give us a little peek because you do have UMass for Wednesday without obviously giving anything away because we know Coach Martin is listening to the show up there in Amherst. But um, anyway, how you've attacked scouting and then a little bit of a preview of what we'll see Wednesday night. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that, you know, familiarity from being on Coach's staff, you know, uh, the two main ways it's it's helped me being on his staff for a while. One is, you know, knowing what he expects in the scouting process and two is relationships with the guys. Um, you know, in particular with UMass, I would say, you know, they play a ton of guys. They play 11 guys. Uh, their leading scorer, Noah Fernandes, has been out the last three games. Uh, so, so especially with him out there rotating a lot of guys in and out, both to start the game and then as the game goes on, they play a ton of different lineups, mix and match. Um, they're second in the country in bench minutes, so even when Fernandes plays, they're rotating a ton of guys in and out. They're top 25 in the country in offensive rebounding, huh. um, you know, which Rhode Island was very yeah. close to that as well. You know, uh, our team this year has done a really good job defensive rebounding, mm -hmm. so hopefully we can match that, you know, grit and energy they bring on the offensive glass, you know, um, you know, being sound defensively. I think it starts with, you know, being disciplined defensively. You know, we've talked about holding your ground. You know, if your man's trying to drive around you, you got to hold your ground. If people are trying to post you up, you got to hold your ground because then that makes rebounding easier, right? Because if they're shooting over you, now you're already in position, right? If, if a guard drives around us, Neil has to help over. That makes it difficult because now Neil's not in a good position to rebound. Um, you know, I, going on the road, you know, I think that's always a tough task. Um, you know, we got to bring our own energy up there. But I do think that it'll be a slower-paced game than VCU. But um, I think our guys have, have responded really well. And uh, they were really good going over the scouting stuff today. So hopefully we can carry that over to tomorrow and then the game on Wednesday. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to having you back uh, for another episode of Behind the Web. Will Gipe, everyone. Spider assistant coach. Thanks, Great Bob. job tonight, Will. Appreciate it. Uh, back with a, a short and final segment as Behind the Web takes up the 7 o'clock tonight. Back after our last time out on 106.1 ESPN. You up to date with Richmond basketball. This is Behind the Web from World of Beer, 11,600 West Broad Street on 106.1 ESPN. From Playfly, this is the Spider Sports Network. I've been programming
right, welcome back. Uh, only a few minutes left. Uh, our show has gone quickly tonight. Uh, that's always a good sign. And, again, thanks to uh, Will Gipe, Spider Assistant Coach, for being our special guest on Behind the Web. Two road games coming up this week for the Spiders. Wednesday night, we just talked about the game at UMass, 7 o'clock game, 6.30 airtime here on 106.1 ESPN. Greg Beckwith and I will be with the team, and we'll be in Amherst. Uh, it's also on ESPN Plus on um, – on Wednesday night, and then back on the road again on Saturday afternoon at Dayton. So back-to-back road games for the Spiders this week. Saturday afternoon at Dayton is a 4 o'clock game. We'll be on the air at 3.30, and that game is on uh, CBS Sports Network at 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon, and then back home the following week. And, of course, we'll be here on Monday night. Uh, Final segment with with Coach Mooney. I'm going to throw one at you. Haven't rehearsed, didn't talk about this ahead of time. It's nothing controversial, really, or that outlandish. But for some reason, Chris, the other day I must have been bored or couldn't sleep or something, went on the Atlantic 10 website, and it dawned on me, wonder how the tournament is going to operate with 15 teams now as instead of 14. So I looked it up, and I saw a couple of major differences that I just wonder how they came about. Do the coaches have input? in this what kind of the process was so the tournament will actually start on a tuesday this year with teams 10 through 15 that's six of them playing and then it unfolding from there and on the days where there's four games we're starting at 11:30 in the morning with the first game so that's going to be early wake-up call the most significant change is the off day yeah on friday between the quarterfinals and the semis maybe you can fill us in on what all went into those changes yeah so that was an idea last spring we have meetings in may uh and the idea was to take the day off on friday so this is uh our buddy greg bond is is dead against this for example so but it's an interesting concept uh i would say that it was met which would probably be met with here tonight a little bit mixed reviews so the idea that would be that when you got to the semifinals There'd be a day off Friday, so you'd have the four four teams remaining to play, uh, and there'd be a day off Friday, and then the semifinal Saturday, final Sunday. So, one way to look at it is, well, then you ha- the, those the fans of those teams maybe could wait until Friday to make their decision, and then they could get to Brooklyn or wherever the tournament is that year, and come in and maybe you'd have a better attendance for Saturday and Sunday. Hmm. Uh, a part in favor of doing it is that by the time, well, one, it's a little bit, I wouldn't say controversial, but we play the game, we play our championship on Sunday. I think three conferences have that, Big Ten, uh, the A-10, and maybe the American Athletic, I think. I think that's right. Now, the hard part about that is if the tournament starts Thursday, the NCAA tournament starts Thursday, you know, like, for example, we played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday. So that's a lot. So you could talk about moving the game championship to Saturday or Friday. But that's a CBS spot, and that's a national television spot, and that's by far the biggest rating that any of our games get. So um, so that's, that's one part of this. And then the giving the day off on Friday – gives the fans a chance to say okay i'm going to go up because it's the semis and the finals 
Oh, the other part was the selection committee essentially stops evaluating. That, that semifinal game doesn't really move the needle much. Huh. Okay. Or, the, or even the quarterfinal game. So, not that it doesn't matter whatsoever, but that semifinal game, because most conference tournaments are over. And then you have, you know, ours and Big Ten, ACC, Big East finishing up. So, uh, since that game doesn't matter, then maybe you give the team four teams some rest. Yeah. Uh, so nobody would, nobody would repeat winning four games in four days. <laughs> so I, I could see both sides of it. Um, and now the other thing is maybe you wouldn't have fans. You know, we had a lot of fans, uh, Richmond fans, from Thursday on. Absolutely. And now it grew, but we right. had a lot of fans there from Thursday on. So. Uh, I could see both sides of it. Like if you had, would somebody go Wednesday and Thursday, would they stay through right. a day off? Um, I don't know. So I could see both sides, but this is what was settled on, and we're going to give this a try. I wish I had asked this question a little earlier because yeah, okay. I've got plenty of more banter. So we've yeah. got more shows, yeah. and we'll get into it more. But I, you know, it kind of took me back a little bit. And the earlier starting time means the last game of the day starts a little earlier, which I think is also a, a positive. So, yeah. All right, I don't want to jump too far ahead. <laughs> uh, we'll see you in Amherst, uh, UMass, 7 o'clock on uh, Wednesday night, and then uh, Saturday at Dayton and back here next Monday. Yep, sounds great. Thank you, Bob. Thank right. you, guys. Spider head coach Chris Moody and our special guest. He's still here with his wife, Will and Amber Guype, uh, sitting over there to my right. Appreciate everybody who's been in the house with us this evening. Uh, James Flowers in our studio. Thanks for producing. Robert Ole on location. Greg Beckwith and I will join you Wednesday night, 6.30 with our pregame show. Spiders at UMass, 7 o'clock Wednesday night. You'll hear it here on the home of the Spiders, 1061 ESPN. So long from World of Beer. You've been listening to Behind the Web from World of Beer Bar and Kitchen, 11,600 West Broad Street, featuring head men's basketball coach Chris Mooney. Tonight's show has been brought to you by CarMax, Lux Chevrolet, Bryant Heating and Cooling, Cornerstone Partners Co-Star Group and Bon Secours Health System, and by Cabell Childress Group. Join us throughout the college basketball season for Behind the Web, presented by World of Beer in Short Pump. Thanks for listening and stay in touch with Richmond Athletics on the flagship station of the Spider Sports Network, ESPN Richmond. Executive producer Mitchell Bradley. This has been a presentation of Playfly Sports in association with Richmond Sports Properties.